everybody, and welcome to Parks Pod. My name is Austin Parkinson, and an absolute electric episode three and four from The Last Dance. I bring in my good friend, the assistant coach from Jacksonville University, Dan Beret. Dan, let's start right there. What was your favorite thing from this episode? I mean, like like we talked about and texted about during uh, during the two uh, episodes, just a lot to digest here, a lot to unpack. But I, I thought one of the coolest things was hearing Brendan Malone speak on the Jordan rules and, and literally laying them out. Uh, I, I thought that was probably my favorite part. Hey, when he's on the wing, we're going to force him middle. When he's at the top, we're going to force him left. When he gets the ball in the post, we're going to double him. And it was that simple. And then obviously, if he ever made it to the rim, uh, all rules were off as it, it got extremely physical. But uh, there were several little tidbits here that, that we'll get into and certainly looking forward to it. Well, the, the Jordan rules uh, reminded me a little bit of uh, pack line principles uh, in regards to, you know, the no baseline force toward the middle. Um, and then obviously, you know, anytime he left the floor, uh, you know, the Pistons felt like they were in trouble. And so the goal was to just absolutely, you know, hammer Jordan or any bull for that matter as they came down the lane. So yeah, I love that part. My favorite part was the fact that Jordan still absolutely hates Isaiah Thomas. I mean, yeah. I, you could see that was probably one of the most realist moments I feel like in uh, in television where you get somebody's honest reaction. And I love when uh, he asks him, he says, hey, do you, you know, here, here's the video. Take a look at it. And, and Jordan's like, I don't, I don't care what it says. I know what it says. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of that. Obviously, the Celtics went off the floor, um, you know, before that. So it kind of proved Isaiah right a little bit. But I also thought, like Jordan said, and, and that's what I was impressed with when they lost in game seven the year before he stayed on the floor uh, and handled it with class and then did an immediate interview. Uh, that was something that surprised me, the immediate right. interview on the floor after losing. And so uh, to see his disdain for uh, Isaiah, obviously we know, and you know, down the road, he, he kind of keeps Isaiah off of the dream team. And uh, that was, uh, that was probably my favorite part of the episode. Let's back up to the beginning of the episode. So many things to unpack. Where do you want to start with the whole Rodman uh, to the Bulls uh, and, and, and the way that uh, you know, unfolded? You know, I, I thought the the Dennis Rodman stuff was very interesting, and I thought there were a lot of nice little coaching parts to go with it. And the, the one thing that, that stood out uh, was how both Chuck Daly and Phil Jackson were able to kind of wrap their arm around Dennis and – uh, somehow make it work with the team. You know, I, I thought the one of the good parts early uh, in in episode three was when when Chuck Daly came up to Brendan Malone and said, you know, don't talk to him. You know, I got him from here. Uh, after he had tried to give him a little bit of advice, and then and then the part with with uh, Rodman going to Vegas and asking for a vacation, and then you know Michael Jordan saying, hey. If, if, well, I need a vacation if, if, if this guy needs a vacation. And then, and then how about Michael Jordan going into the hotel room and, and getting Dennis Rodman out of there and Carmen Electra going to, going to hide amidst it all. And, and, and then the Indian mile 
<laughs> that was, I mean, unheard of for an NBA team uh, to participate in such activity. Yeah, I mean, the Rodman part has so many things that we've got to we've got to get into. the The first part being, and you mentioned the coaching aspect of that. I, I think the coaches were, you know, coming from two different spots. Chuck, uh, you know, Chuck Daly inherits a young Dennis Rodman, who they said was naive, trying to prove himself, uh, is around other tough guys uh, like John Sally, like Bill Embiid, uh, Rick. Horn and those guys. And so he was trying to prove himself. Um, but obviously, you know, Chuck had that kind of uh, fatherly mentality. And, and, and what's interesting about that, they didn't go into it in this episode, but in the, in the Rodman 30 for 30, they talked about when, when Daly was uh, replaced as coach, uh, that's what kind of put uh, Dennis in a tailspin and uh, just right. because he was so close. And then you get to the Bulls and you get a Phil Jackson that's now inheriting a proven Dennis Rodman. And I thought the quote was interesting from uh, Madonna that she kind of unleashed Dennis and that like, you know, kind of showed him, hey, you can be this free spirit, but you got to find out who you want to be. And so now this was an accomplished guy and you could see in the Bulls years, he was still searching for himself, um, but but had definitely, you know, the, the come off with the uh, kind of a idea of who he was off the court, uh, him getting on the motorcycle with a military. Or light, uh, no helmet, yeah, and something. riding out of there. Um, the, the, I was impressed with the number of toasts they had out in Vegas. And, and oh, where gosh. where did that footage come from? So I want to know, is this part of the Bulls footage from that year? Like, did they send a documentary crew out with him for the 48 hours? <laughs> but I mean, the, you can't imagine that that was the case. No, but I mean, but again, Phil Jackson found his way to get through to him. And I think it brings up another point and I want to ask you about this, is having a strong locker room, uh, obviously in recruiting, we're recruiting players. And when you have a strong locker room like that, the assistant coach went to, you know, to Jerry Krause and went to Phil and was like, hey, I think we can bring him in because of Jordan and because of Pippen. How often does that come into play? And what's the dynamic of that when you're looking at a player and determining, you know, what kind of locker room you have to bring in a player that might ruffle some feathers uh, in, in some of the, the ways maybe off the court and behind the scenes? Yeah, I think it certainly goes on. It goes on for us. I'm sure it goes on for you a little bit. And, you know, you, you always say you have, for us, we have 13 scholarships. I think you guys have one or two more than that. And, and it's always, you know, what is your number of, of risks that you're willing to take with those scholarships? And when you compare it to, you know, how, how many, how many people do you have on the team that can kind of corral the group as a whole? Uh, so, so absolutely. I, I think, um, if you have a strong core, you're able to kind of take some gambles. The Randy Moss, uh, going to the new England Patriots, uh, I think in 08 or 09, whenever that happened and, 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 you know, winning with Tom Brady, uh, you know, they tried it with Antonio Brown a little bit and it didn't work out, uh, like Randy Moss did. But I think you see people taking risks. You see organizations taking risks, uh, when you have a strong core in place. How about you? When I worked for Ron Hunter, and I always tell people I learned as much about being a head coach in that the two years I worked for him, um, yeah. just how to manage things and kind of how he handled um, you know the players and the relationships. But one of his things was uh, in recruiting, uh, your your talent, uh, your baggage can't outweigh your talent. And, uh, and your productivity. 
And if it gets in the way of the team, then obviously you can't have a player like that out there. And the one thing that they identified with Dennis is when he when it was on the court, you know, he brought it. It didn't matter. And all that other stuff and extra stuff uh, didn't, you know, didn't impact things uh, on the floor. I thought that was uh, an interesting thing. The other thing, and I'm going to give a, uh, what do you think about this? His cigar apology by going to Jordan's room, guys handling it that way, not having uh, the ability to just say, Hey, I'm sorry. I messed up. And his way of was like, we're good. We're going to have cigars. All right, we're good. Let's move forward. What'd you think about that? Well, I thought it was great how, how both of them, you know, obviously they admit this now, who, who knows how they felt back then, but probably fairly similar uh, where Jordan was able to interpret what you're saying. When, when Dennis said, hey, do, do you have an extra cigar? He, he basically is coming up to his floor and admitting I screwed up we, we need to move forward. And then what I liked, you know, right before they, they showed that, uh, part where Dennis left to go to Vegas was the conversation and they didn't really show Dennis in it, but they showed, uh, Jordan and they had the subtitles going, uh, at the bottom of the screen, uh, talking about, you know, X's and O's, what they were doing defensively, their, their assignments, their responsibilities. And it, it, it was clear that those two had a connection, uh, and it, it all, uh, revolved around winning. And he talked about the IQ of Dennis Rodman being one of the highest IQs of any player um, that Jordan had ever played with. I thought you saw that clearly with the clip that you mentioned. Another thing I thought was very interesting is something that Dennis said about playing for free, but the extra stuff is the, you know, the BS he gets paid for. And what made me think of that uh, in regard to, to Dennis was how while Scotty was out, he felt this extra attachment to Jordan that it was kind of them and them two against the world. And then when Scotty came back, he felt like the third amigo. And, uh, you know, it, not just with Dennis, but I feel like that is, it plays a lot of roles in different teams in regards to, you know, guys getting their feelings heard about what their role is, even in the midst of winning championships. And clearly that was at the highest level. Yeah. I mean, these guys had gone on a run there. You know, I, th I think they showed the, you know, they were eight and seven when they lost to Indiana. And then, and then next thing you know, they're 18 and eight or 18 and nine. And, you know, they're rolling right along. And, and even to the point where Dennis Rodman has put threes in his hair, uh, to welcome Scotty back, but he still can't deal with, the. Uh, the emotion that, Hey, this is now changing my role. And, you know, as a result, you know, ends up in Vegas. And, and I think that it's, it's very prevalent in, in teams today as well. Like we talked about last week. Well, with the Pistons, their physicality, and it went through that kind of back and forth throughout the two hours. But um, one of the aspects of that, that I thought uh, was interesting from a physical play standpoint was uh, just the beating that those guys took, um, you know, throughout the series. And the way that the, um, you know, the, the bulls kind of had to adapt themselves with that bad boys mentality, you know, back then, uh, there was no, you know, flagrant fouls. I mean, you know, rarely did you see those things, but how did you think how that impacted the way the game was played? Cause if you look at all those scores, you know, there weren't 120, 130, it was 190, 80, you know, what'd you think of the bad boys and their mentality and how it impacted the bulls? Uh, I 
I like it. I mean, I, I like how it was played and, and I would consider myself more of a, a defensive guy probably than offense. It doesn't mean, you know, that, that you can't uh, enjoy scoring the ball as well, but, but I, I liked it. And one thing that, that stood out to me is when, you know, Horace Grant was getting fouled or getting beat up and, and, you know, Jordan had that segment or Horace had said it and, it, where Michael comes over and says, don't, don't let them see you whining. You know, we're, we're not going to back down from this. Or when, when Scotty Pippen had got, you know, beat up in that game four, when they were getting ready to sweep them and he just sat there, stood up, went to the free throw line, knocked them down and away we went. Um, I, I like it. You know, I, I think that the game has probably changed for the better, but, you know, there's still room for physical play. And I think it's important that us coaches today, you know, kind of take from, from the past and incorporate that as, as much as the rules will allow. Well, times have changed and, you know, we played, I played for coach Katie and his physical play and one of my teammates and good friends, Brandon McKnight, we were told if somebody got in your airspace, you ripped the ball uh, across their face, you warned them the first time. And then the second time you brought the elbow. And one of the practices that, uh, you know, we were involved, uh, I clipped him in the nose and uh, I'd warned him and uh, he ended up punching me, you know, uh, in the side and, and then we just went about it. And that's kind of the way it was. But quick, funny story from when I first started coaching uh, my first year, I was trying to set a tone for physical play. And we talked about, you know, if people get in your airspace, uh, you swing, you know, you swing that elbow through. And uh, so we're in practice and one of my young ladies gets hammered. I mean, absolutely hammered. And I didn't kind of see what happened. And uh, one of them said, coach, you know, she was in my airspace. And I said, well, did you warn her? She said, yeah. I said, well, okay. Well, we went about practice. Well, fast <laughs> forward, fast forward a week later and we've got the uh, director that they send out officials to kind of give you a preview for this year. And they used to do this before video came into play. Right. The very right. first thing that they talked about, and again, I'm trying to build the trust of these young, young, young ladies in my first year as coach. She says, you know, this year, uh, the number one point of emphasis is swinging elbows. If you swing an elbow, it's an automatic technical. And oh. uh, the, the players on my team looked at me like, man, who is this idiot that's coaching us? Yeah, that's great. That point. That great. One of the other things that now has played a, a major role in what we do is analytics. And I thought it was interesting because Dennis Rodman basically took you through a masterclass in analytics and rebounding <clears throat> the way he thought about it. And I don't think people think about rebounding the way that he did at that point. What was your take on that? I thought it was great. Um, and, and, you know, he, he tells a story uh, about, you know, having his buddies go shoot and, you know, kind of learning about it. And I listened to Jeff Van Gundy uh, podcast. I think he was on with Chris Oliver. And he said that if he came back to coach in the NBA, he would the, the one change that well, I'm sure he'd make a variety of changes, but the the major emphasis that he would for sure do and put on his teams would be to attack the offensive glass because of the ability to get extra possessions and 
you know, that, that was Dennis. I mean, he's, I mean, the the clips tonight, he's volleyballing the ball around to kind of save it. He starts at the block and and keeps it alive all the way to the three point line. And and now, you know, he's hitting Steve Kerr for dagger threes. So what we would call a Jacksonville dagger threes, I'm sure a lot of others do as well. You know, the, the, the two easiest time to get a three point shot, uh, is in transition and then uh, off the offensive glass. So, you know, if you can, today's game is, is shooting threes and, and playing fast. So if you can create extra possessions and do so through the offensive rebound and then kick it to a three-point shooter, you know, why not do it as much as you can? I agree. And one of the things that stood out to me was a thought of this, this Bulls team and, and then the Warriors team, that you always need a guy, uh, you know, both Draymond Green, uh, a physical, emotional player, gets out of hand a little bit. Steve Kirk clearly has done a great job in handling him, but always defends, you know, the best player, able to guard multiple positions, uh, rebounds made people better. Same thing for Rodman. But the other thing that doesn't go in the stat sheet is those two guys provided a lot of cover for Jordan, Pippen, Curry, and Clay when things got physical to have that guy that's not afraid to mix it up. Uh, and, and I don't want to say be the bully, but kind of stand their ground when things do get physical in the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it, it's, uh, I heard Kerr talking and, uh, he was on the Zach Lowe podcast, uh, this past week talking about the last dance, like, like we are now. And, and, you know, this isn't, this isn't anything new or or a thought that hasn't been uh, thought of, but he he said, Dennis Rodman is the modern day five, you know, and, and he even brought examples up of him getting catches at the top of the key. Cause you know, he had the ability to pass the ball as well. I mean, you saw some clips tonight where he's dropping off, uh, you know, to his teammates for layups and dunks, but they would bring him to the top of the key. And that's kind of part of the triangle, but to, to catch the ball and be a decision maker, much like you see Draymond Green be uh, with some of their five out stuff at, at Golden State. What were your thoughts on the uh, young Doug Collins as he took over? I thought it was great. And the, the one thing I highlighted on Doug Collins was uh, the time when they were in L.A. And he said, fellas, if, if you win tonight, I don't I don't care what you do in L.A. We'll see you on the bus and, and we'll get ready to go back home. And a guy I worked with, uh, Scott Wagers, who's now an assistant at South Florida, he he had this saying and it, it's it's so true. And it, it's it's critical to remember this during the tough times. Uh, during our seasons, but he always said, you got to make the lions roar. And that's just an example. Doug Collins is, you know, here they are in a pregame speech and he, he literally is finding a way to get to his team. And his way is with the reward of being out in Los Angeles later that night, you know, finding a way to get the guys excited. You know, that could be a, an opportunity to practice less or get him dessert on the road or, or what have you, but you got to make the lions roar. And I, I thought Doug Collins was able to do that. And then the transition, I'll be curious, your thoughts, Austin, on the, the, I highlighted a lot on the Doug Collins to Phil Jackson transition where, you know, the balls in Michael's hands. And now this is equal opportunity. And, and what did you think on that whole text winner kind of being pushed aside? And did that ultimately get Phil Jackson the job because Krause, you know, had, had kind of hired these assistants? 
Well, I absolutely do think that I think this was Krause's comeback week, uh, not just for his magic dance moves at the end of the episode, but, right. um, you know, last- which was crazy, by the way, because because Pippen and 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 Jordan, those guys were back there. That's when they beat Detroit, I believe. And, you know, how does it go so far south? Sorry to cut you off. No, absolutely. Uh, but but so let me back up on uh, Doug Collins. You know, I look at Doug Collins as my one of my favorite announcers. He's, he's incredibly intellectual to listen to. And why didn't he have the success that maybe we would have you know, anticipated from somebody like that? And I think it's some of these college coaches um, that run, you know, run kind of hot that go to the NBA and, 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 you know, aren't able to uh, maybe make the transition because, you know, in college, there's a fewer amount of games. There's the passion. It's just a little bit different. You know, he looks in those first couple games. I mean, just exhausted, you know, the high energy. And for those guys for such a long season, you know, probably right. need that balance. So that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me seeing it, you know, from behind the scenes. The second part was what you brought up. And that's why I said, I thought it was Krause's comeback week. It made him, it put him in a much better light because number one, the journey of Phil Jackson, uh, player to coach, you know, going to the footage in Puerto Rico was awesome. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, the, the chicken's blood on the bench, the referee being shot. I mean, what great stories, but you could tell he'd scouted him. And I think we got a little, uh, preview of that last week with his whole, um, catering to uh, Tim Floyd. And so like, you know, Krause was behind the scenes, you know, he hires, uh, you know, Tex Winter, he hires Phil Jackson, the interesting part. And I thought like, it was probably, uh, you know, the phrase, uh, he dug his own grave is when Doug Collins put Tex Winter be, you know, away from the bench. And, yeah. uh, and then Phil comes in and you could just see from the first press conference, his demeanor. Um, you know, I think uh, that had a lot to do with it. But for him to come in right away and go, hey, we, we got to take the ball out of Michael's hands, you know, clearly was the right thing to do, but probably took a unique personality to do that. You know, how did you think he went about it? And, and obviously it paid dividends. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to tell, you know, when and how exactly he got he got Michael on board. You know, it, I think th- th- there's been, you know, different clips and obviously you know, Michael Revere's Phil Jackson's. So that, that's, that is what it is, but you know, what did he do? I don't know, but it can't, it comes up again in, in that uh, game five, when they finally beat the Lakers, you know, I thought that was a great part of the episode four uh, where they're going into the fourth quarter and he's saying, get the ball to John Pax and he's wide open, get it to Pax, get it to Pax. And he hits three or four jumpers in a row. And, you know, that, that, that might've been the culmination of everything. And, Furthermore, what I also thought was interesting is Paxson is shooting mid-range jumpers, you know, to go back to analytics. I know that's a, kind of a long-winded answer, but he's Paxson sitting here just, to, just at the top of the key shooting high school threes well inside the three-point line. Um, and, you know, but, but Jordan is drawing double teams. And it, honestly, it looked a lot like kind of LeBron James finding guys and, and trusting his shooters. Well, I, I remember sitting in a hotel room on the road one summer recruiting and watching, you know, NBA's greatest games and that game popped up. And the thing that stood out to me and seeing it again today was how open 
Paxton was. And I mean, just wide open. I mean, no challenge shots and, you know, him getting hot. And uh, one of the things I argue about, you know, there's always the LeBron and Jordan debate and everybody gives LeBron so much credit for his, you know, high number of assists, but he has the ball in his hands. I bet he had the ball in his hands, you know, 75% of the game where now within the triangle, Jordan is letting guys move the ball and catch the ball and touch the ball. And, you know, I think of a guy like a Kyle Korver who, you know, we all know is a great shooter, but sometimes had some struggles when he, you know, in clutch situations with LeBron. And I just think of like, think about when you go to the YMCA and you're playing uh, and you're in a pickup game. And if you touch the ball and everybody's moving and touching it, you know, you feel a little more confidence to go make a play. But when you only are going to touch the ball, you know, every so often, that's a lot. Right, of right before you shoot it. Yeah. yeah. And so I think yeah. Paxton, you know, that yes, Jordan was finding him, but I think his rhythm came where everybody's touching it. What do you think about uh, does Scotty become a top 50 player in NBA history if Phil Jackson isn't the coach? Because Scotty made an interesting point about that moved him to the point forward, something that he was accustomed to and really something we see more of today. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think Scotty's right on with that thought and, you know, obviously able to feel a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, I, I don't, the, the, the late eighties, it, it just, I don't exactly remember how he kind of developed into that. And was it j- just the offensive change? Was it his growth in the league? But, you know, everybody kind of talks about Scottie Pippen as one of the first true point forwards to be able to play with the ball in his hands. You know, he, he was probably their backup point guard, you know, when, when Ron Harper was out, uh, in during that, uh, second, second three P what, what was your thought? Yeah, I, I thought Scotty um, in that second, you know, when they finally got over the hump, clearly one of the big points of the episode was when he gets taken out in that game um, and and he doesn't react. And and they made a big point about that in that yeah, offseason. Yeah, game, game four against yeah, the Pistons. Game yeah. four. And, and they made a big point in that season between when they lost game seven and, and you know, that series. Two areas I thought they focused on. They talked, they showed obviously the, the weight training. And we covered that a little bit last week on how that really kind of set the tone for a lot of levels in basketball. But then the other part was the mental aspect that I think gets underrated is that Jordan was talking about, I was like, basically don't let him see a sweat and uh, love that he goes after um, Horace Grant, had no time for Horace Grant. I mean, you saw the one uh, little elbow he took was, I thought was very minuscule compared to some of the shots that they were taking out there. And right. that, uh, that mindset of like, hey, mentally, we're yeah. not going to let those guys. And then you get to see the perspective of John Sally uh, when he says, once we saw Pippen react the way that he did, uh, it, it allowed, you know, we knew we had no chances, basically what he was saying. And the Bulls knew they could go from there. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, what do you think Jordan meant when he was talking about Pippen stood taller uh, when he had somebody by his side? And how does that relate to, you know, coaching and, and, and your teams uh, today? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that th- there are certain players that, that you know, kind of need that. And, 
you know, th- there were those two years that, that haven't been talked about. And I don't know if they're going to talk about on the next six episodes where, when, when Jordan was playing baseball and it, it was, it was a different role for Scotty. So I think, you know, there, there's a lot of players out there that have had great, great careers that are better uh, served when, when they are the Robin to Batman, you know, versus the other way around. And, um, it's, it's really important to get those people on your team, uh, because the, I think the people that are in that situation, like a Scottie Pippen, they, they know that and they understand who they are and can, you know, go full steam ahead, uh, with, with the leadership above them and on the side of them. What'd you think of the no handshake? I mean, what was your take on that? I, I, like you, I thought Isaiah made a good point. Uh, you know, when they, and they, and the video footage is there on, on, on the Celtics doing the same thing, uh, to them when the Pistons finally got over the hump, um, so, so yeah, it speaks to more of the times then. And, and I think Isaiah kind of goes into that versus, you know, now, and, and they don't do this in the playoffs, but where, you know, players are taking off their jerseys and making exchanges and, you know, taking pictures and posting on Instagram. It's just, it's just a different era now. Uh, and I think everybody just needs to adapt to it. Yeah, no, um, no, no. So, so I, I saw both sides of it. I, you know, Michael clearly, didn't, didn't, didn't want any of it seeing that, uh, clip. And I, I do think the director, Jason Hare's done a nice job with, you know, playing these clips, uh, and, and letting them react and, and just kind of taking the video of them watching it. He did it with the, the Isaiah deal. And then he did it with Dennis, uh, Scotty and Phil as well. What, what, what was your take on that? Well, I'm not definitely this, this era of all the, you know, after the game, hand over the mouth, you know, go hug it out. There was a great article in the Indy star one time about Paul George and how, you know, when he elevated his level of success, it had to be like, I got to go find the best player and, you know, dap it up after the game. And, you know, I like the Russell Westbrooks of the world. It's like, Hey, you know, we can be buddies later, but you know, we just lost a game. Uh, and obviously it's different, you know, with the NBA, I mean, college, we, we shake hands. I mean, it's a different, you know, different deal. But right. one point I thought was interesting with the Celtics and the, and the Pistons. I also think it has a lot to do with where your locker room is located. Like I would have had no problem if the Pistons had left the floor before uh, the celebration took place. That's not an issue. What I had a problem with is they walked right by, right by the by Bulls him. bench. Right and if you're going to do that, you're going to walk by the Bulls bench, be like Bill Lambeer, chest out, you know, Rick Mohorn. Hey, I'm going to walk through you know what, whatever, but you got Isaiah ducking. Uh, and I think that's why, I mean, again, there's a lot of bad blood between him and, uh, him and Michael Jordan. And again, like I said, that was my favorite part just to see, you know, Jordan looked like he wanted to lace him up right now and let's go play. And, uh, I yeah, that it's, was- it's clear that, 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 that for whatever reason, though, you know, and that there's the d- dream team, you know, speculations on, on Jordan, basically keeping him off of it. And, and that, that, that hatred is still there today. And, you know, hopefully they can, you know, maybe, uh, have a, get it figured out here. What did you, did you remember? I didn't remember. I didn't remember the bulls. 
I remember their struggles with the Pistons, right? They lose in game six. They end up losing in game seven. I did not remember them sweeping the Pistons and then winning. I, I, I knew they won at 4-1 over the Lakers. They won eight out of nine against that Pistons team and that Lakers team, which is incredibly yeah. impressive. Did you remember that? I didn't remember that. No, I, you know, I, I knew that the, the, the pr- previous series, uh, you know, when, when they had lost to the Pistons, I knew that both of them went, you know, pr- pretty deep into the series. I, d- I, d- I did know that they swept them. And I, I, I guess I remember it being four one against the Lakers. I, I did not know they lost game one and then the, the floodgates came off and they, they were really able to just kind of open things up game two and just kind of ride on from there. What do you think of Will Produce comments in regards to Jordan's just laser focus, intensity? You know, he'd only seen two types of emotion, you know, being competitive and being angry. And then when he talked about when they won, uh, the shedding of the tears and seeing that really for the first time is like Jordan the human. Yeah, it's crazy because I guess, you know, Purdue wasn't there for when, you know, they had experienced some winning you know, I guess Jordan's probably first winning in the NBA where they had won some series in the, in the mid to late eighties. And then, you know, from there it was just, you know, full steam ahead, pissed off, you know, pedal to the metal. Um, we're not stopping at anything but a championship. And then finally to get it, you know, and see it. I, I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. And, you know, the other part, part I liked though, you know, they had finally won it and he, he said he saw it, but multiple people that were with the Bulls during that time commented that beating the Pistons was almost, almost to the equivalent of, of beating the Lakers. Well, I also think that was an, an older Lakers team at that point. Uh, the Pistons had won it, you know, uh, the last two years and, right. um, you know, kind of like the way Jordan said in game one, it's like, Hey, we didn't play very well. And, and almost and right there. Yeah. And they felt, you know, really good about it. Uh, I also thought coming full circle, you mentioned the John Pax and stuff, but, um, him, uh, making shots late kind of came full circle with Jordan trusting his teammates. And again, I thought this was a comeback episode for Krause. Uh, you know, he made the deal to get Cartwright to come over. Um, you know, he made the move with, with Tex winner and, and Phil Jackson and, you know, it's just interesting. I think in general, you know, all of us coaches, whatever track doesn't matter if you're Mike Krzyzewski or, you know, Dan Ray or Austin Parkinson, like whatever your journey is, you need some luck. You need some help along the way. And, you know, for Krause to identify him not once, but twice when the first coach wouldn't take him with the bulls, you know, does, does Phil Jackson have 11 rings? Uh, I, I don't know if he does. And so it just goes to show, you know, Everybody doesn't matter who needs help along the way in their journey. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, there's the old line in the good, good to great. I mean, it takes a village and that that's evident, you know, everywhere, you know, the, the question will be, and, and I'm sure we'll see it. I really like how they're going back and forth and kind of, taking you up from from Jordan's rookie season all the way to you know the season of focus here the last dance in 97 98 you know what what exactly makes it go south um is it the fact that you know all the notoriety for these other guys because they're starting to get it and he still seems to be one of the guys you know we talked about him in the in the back of the plane dancing with the guys and 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 celebrating you know what what is it that kind of gets things to get headed the other direction with with Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson. 
Well, I think it came down to a lot of, I mean, you heard the one quote with David Aldridge, yeah, the money yeah, going you know, to Utah I mean, yeah. you know, and the money and, you know, how do we pay these guys? And I don't know. I, I still, I, I think when it comes down to it, it's like, if you're the owner, that's where you have to step in. Let's go back through just a few more things in the episode, little highlights. Uh, I want to focus on two of the celebrities in the episode. Obviously we talked about how, you know, Madonna kind of unlocked uh, the worm as we know it yeah. in the eccentric, <laughs> but also Carmen Electra not tuned into the NBA. How did she not know that like he was missing games? He was missing games. And like, what, what is that? Like what's going on? And then her surprise with Michael Jordan showing up. Oh man. I mean, it, it, you know, it dressed in typical uh, Carmen Electra fashion in the episode as well. I mean, it just, that's just who Dennis Rodman was. I mean, think about it. I mean, Madonna, Carmen Electra, it j- just a disaster. I mean, it, it, how can she not recognize that, that, you know, they're in Vegas. It's not like they're, they're you know, in another country where they're, you know, separated from the NBA. And, you know, you just wonder, like, was she around after that? Is she going to games? You know, what, what was the, the exact terms of this relationship with her and Dennis? We're going to need more follow-up on that. Cause like you said, I had, I had questions. Uh, I told you about the toasts. I was, I was extremely impressed with the toast game for a lot, a lot of memorization there for those different ones. Um, One other thing I was, I'll be honest with you. I was disappointed with the uh, Scotty. I thought it was a little melodramatic. Uh, you know, last week we were left with, you know, how does Scotty come back to the Bulls? I didn't remember. I was expecting something big the way they set it up. I right, just kind of came back and he was just like, you know what? I probably wasn't going to win this battle anyway. So, you know, let's, you know, come back. It wasn't some big passionate, you know, I want to win a championship or, you know, something else outside. So that part kind of surprised me uh, a little bit. Did you have anything else from this week? No, but not necessarily. I got a, I got a couple things. Wanted to ask you, you know, obviously I'm a Chicago guy, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, lived in Chicago from, uh, from really the time when I was four or five years old on, except for two years uh, when, when we lived in California. So my question to you is this, during the Jordan era, during the Bulls era, were you a Bulls fan, a Jordan fan? Like, t- take me through your relationship with with this team. I was probably more of a Jordan fan um, than anything else, especially, I'd say, you know, probably through the first four championships, no doubt, Jordan, the Bulls. But but I really started to find, you know, for the Pacers when they were having That's those thing, battles they're, they're going to play him. In yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that was one, it was like a, uh, probably as conflicted as I've ever been in rooting for, you know, two teams because of all the, the battles, the Pacers have been through, uh, you know, over the years. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, but Jordan, I mean, but I also owned a scare, pair of Scotty Pippen, uh, shoes, you know, they, they, you know, people yeah. forget about that. I had some of the Scotty Pippen. Here's a great story for you. And this, I, I blame my parents for this. So, uh, you know, I, I can't remember what age this is, but uh, I was a young player. I mean, I'm talking probably elementary, middle school, whatever it was. And uh, my parents were not big on like, we didn't buy all the brand stuff. And uh, so I wasn't like super aware uh, on the early Jordans. And I was the best player on the team by far. And I go to practice. My mom had bought me the 
MJs. And I was super hyped and, you know, I, you know, couldn't wait to play them and I'm black. Uh, they were, I thought they were cool. I get to yeah. practice and, you know, I got them on, you know, everybody's gonna ask about your new shoes and you know, what do you think? What do you think? You know, Austin, where'd you get those? And I'm like, Oh, I got my mom got them for me. They were, you know, they're the MJs and the Michael Jordans. And one kid on the team was like, no, no, those, those aren't the Michael Jordans. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, those are the Michael Jacksons. You have LA oh, Air Michael yeah. Jacksons. So I'm out there as the best player wearing black shoes, black socks and rocking Michael Jacksons back yes. in the day. And I still tremendous. blame, I still blame mama park for oh, that moment. It almost, you know, derailed my career. What, what about <laughs> you? You grew up in Chicago. You know, obviously you were right there during all of it. What was it like being a Bulls fan, you know, during that time? It, it was awesome. I mean, it was just, you know, it kind of came quick. Um, you know, you, you're just brought up and, and, and honestly, I just kind of grew up with it. As I said last week, I was in high school during, during the 98 season. So I was kind of growing up as, as Jordan was, you know, coming to the bulls, uh, and, and kind of coming into his own as the best player in the NBA. And I just remember it being really hard to get tickets. Uh, my, my dad worked for Quaker Oats at the time, uh, which, um, had, had owned Gatorade. And so, so we had access to some tickets, but you know, we probably went once or twice a year. I mean, it was still really hard to go. And, uh, I, I remember being in, in probably eighth grade in my, I, I was going to a, a game late in the season and, you know, I, I think I had a B or a C in, in social studies class and the and, and I had said to the teacher that I was going to the game and he said, Hey, you, you get Rodman's Jersey tonight. You got an A for sure. And, you know, I, I had, I had kind of forgot until they showed this, this episode where Rodman had, had given his Jersey to the fan. And, you know, that, that was kind of the tradition. Every, every time he left the, the, the game, uh, to, to go to the locker room, he would, he would take his Jersey off and give it to a young fan. And I, I did not make that a, but I think I pulled out with an honest B. <laughs> That's a great story. Well, I'll tell you the other thing that I could compare this to is the way that you and I feel about Tiger Woods. And so, yes. uh, when Tiger won this most recent masters, uh, you know, I, I'm in my living room, I'm fist pumping, I'm fired up. When Jordan came back from retirement, when, when, when the facts came in, I'm back and the speculation, like that was the level of excitement that I had. And, and, you know, those are the only two things I can compare in my lifetime where it's that level of must watch TV. And, you know, the, the kids from this era, like LeBron's not on that level. Like there's not that level of must watch TV, even the warriors who I thoroughly enjoy watching, you know, when, when Jordan was playing, when Tiger's playing, it's just that next level of like, you got to be tuned in because you never knew what you were going to miss. No, no doubt. I mean, you know, they, they played that, uh, the replay of, of the masters, uh, a couple of weeks ago on, on Easter Sunday. And, and, and I close to watched it like it was, it was last year. And it, it's the same thing. I remember when he, he came back against the Pacers, I believe there in 95 and, and they lost, they lost that game. Um, but, but it was, you know, really from that point on, I remember like, really sitting down and watching games it became more of just you know a you know a boy that's kind of growing up and and playing basketball and watching the bulls to you know legitimately trying to 
see, see what's going on and, and, and have a, have a rooted interest in, in, in the team and, and in Michael. We've always worn black shoes, black socks because of the bulls. I mean, not, yeah. not the fat playoff five. time. Yeah. Playoff time. I mean, we, that was something that we here, here's one for you with that. Uh, did, did they, do you ever remember the bulls wearing black uniforms during the playoffs? I do not. I do not either. And I don't, I'm not sure that they did. I, I don't, remember. I don't think so because you know, that, that last, that last game with the Kraus comments and they lose to Utah where, where they kind of leave us off, you know, they had the lead and they blew it, you know, they're in the black uniforms in Utah. And that's what made me think of it. It, it just looked, it didn't look right uh, to be playing the jazz with black uniforms on. Um and I don't think they ever wore them during the, 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 that was a nice little treat that they brought out kind of in that second three peat going with that alternate uniform. But I don't remember them ever doing it in the playoffs, but always, always the black shoes. Yeah, no. I, and the 72 win season, I think is when the, the black Jersey came out and I liked it. I yeah. mean, I thought it was a great you yeah. know change of pace, but um, you know, that last episode with the Utah jazz, you know, that was such a hostile place uh, to play. I mean, it, the crowd was really loud, obviously we've heard, uh, since then, uh, sometimes can the crowd can uh, yell some unfortunately unsavory things, but mm-hmm. I just remember the noise factor. And, and I thought that it captured that even in that regular season game, how things could feel like quicksand pretty quick, uh, when the other team got going. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, that playoff run and what that finals, you know, finals appearance was like. Yeah, I think so, man. It, it, it you know, we were kind of texting during the episode as, as, as we mentioned, and, you know, you watch episode one and two and it was awesome. And we're ready to go for three and four and, you know, three and four, I thought they, they improved even though I didn't think that was possible as we were talking last week. So I'm juiced for, for the rest of the series. Oh, I'm fired up. I I was, you know, last week was great, but this week I was like, we could, we might end up talking for an hour about this. Um, So quick. I mean, it goes so, you're sitting there for two hours and it's just like, how are they going to get through all of this? Well, Jason Mayer, the the director uh, was on the Levitard show and he said that uh, as they were, they were doing the, film, I guess he said, if we can get everybody to episode seven, then it's just going to be from there. It's all downhill. And, you know, obviously the people that have seen it have come out and said like how amazing it is. But his, his comment was like, there's going to be some things in this that like, we're going to be shocked that they, that that Michael allowed the public to see. Mm. And, uh, you know, because they've moved things up uh, and there's not anything going on, you know, Jordan has had some input in the creativity part of it basically saying like, Hey, here's a story, you know, you wanted to go with this route, you know, maybe you ought to go this route. Cause this is actually a story that pertains a little bit more to what you're talking about. But he said that Michael did not take out one single thing, uh, or ask to have something removed because of, you know, the intensity of it or, or what it is. And I think my favorite parts each week is the fact that, um, I love that ESPN's just playing it as is, um, you know, with the swing, crazy, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but like, I just love seeing, like, ESPN and yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, but like Michael Jordan, I mean, we're getting an a, a authentic real, like, yes. you know, we didn't, you, you got a glimpse of his interviews I and mean, he was always so polished, so under control, knew what to say, you know, very rarely uh, got irritated with the media. Uh, right. You know, you see some of these guys today that, you know, KD spats, LeBron, I mean, you didn't see that. And yet here we go when we get a chance to see it. So 
can't wait for next week, episodes five and six. Dan, thank you again for joining me and uh, have a great week and look forward to talking to you next week. Okay, looking forward to it as well. Thanks, Coach. 